0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Scotland Matters, the Scottish Land and Estates podcast. My name is sarah Jean Lane, I am Chief Executive at Scottish Land and Estates, and in this episode I am joined by Scotland's tenant farming commissioner, Bob McIntosh. In this episode, we'll be discussing all of the issues affecting those involved in the tenanted sector, looking at what's coming up, and also discussing how we can encourage more people into farming. Welcome to Scotland Matters, Bob. Hello. Hi there. Hi. So I thought we'd kick off, Bob, by just sort of having a chat about the role. I mean, it's hard to believe, but there will still some be uh, still some people out there who won't know about the tenant farming commissioner and what your role is. And I wonder if you can just give us a little bit of background where the role originated and how you spend your time.
1: Fine. Yeah, it's been around for about five years now, introduced by the government because of a perception that relations between landlords and tenants of agricultural holdings weren't all that they might be, that there was a lot of tension, a lot of conflict, and therefore the TFC role, the main aim of the role is to improve relations between landlords and tenants. I have some statutory powers, I am I, required by the Act to produce codes of practice, that seek to set out the behaviours and processes which govern the main interactions between landlords and tenants. If someone thinks that the code of practice is not being followed, they can ask me to investigate. I'm empowered to do that and to produce conclusions, not to apply penalties to anyone who think I think has breached the code, but just to draw attention to that fact and make recommendations about how they might make things better in the future aside from that i produce a lot of guides which are just there to inform people about legislation and and other issues that are affecting tenant farming and i spend a lot of my time i suppose acting as a mediator lots of people phone me up or contact me and say i've got an issue with a tenant or a landlord can you help me try and sort it out i prefer to act in the role of a mediator rather than a regulator I think it's better to try and help people solve their problems than use the sort of statutory complaints process as a way of taking things forward. So that's how I spend my time, really.
0: And Bob, there's there's the role and there's a person in the role. And obviously for lots of us in the sector, we kind of feel that the way you've approached this role has led to um, sort of increased success. I mean, I think if you look at, you know, how you manage a tenant farming advisory forum, work with stakeholders, all of that is a distinct improvement to how things were, you know, a, a few years ago. What are the, you know, your, your approaches, your your skills that you've, you know, sort of, that you bring to the role, What, you know, your strengths? So you as a tenant farming commissioner as a person rather than the role, how do you see that?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I suppose I've spent most of my life in land management and forestry and farming, so I've sort of got an understanding, I think, of what it's all about. My wife always tells me I always sit on the fence on issues. And I say, yes, actually, I do, because I try not to. um, I try to see all sides of the situation. I'm very, I've got to sometimes remind people I'm not the tenant farmers commissioner. I'm the tenant farming commissioner. I do sit in the middle between landlords and tenants. And I try to see both sides and I try to help them both find something that's reasonable in the middle. So I guess that's, if I bring anything to it, it's that. Hopefully that sense of of, of fairness um, I sometimes feel like I'm a cross between Henry Kissinger and Marjorie Proops <laughs> you know, in terms of the way the role works a bit of diplomacy and a bit of just acting as a sort of agony uncle to people who want to want to let off steam sometimes
0: yeah, I think you know Bob, if you asked me to to choose a number of words that um, you know to describe you fair and reasonable are, are two that certainly are. You know would would come to mind straight away and thinking about that when I mean, you talked about that political perception that there was a lot of angst and heat and and, and problems in the sector uh, when you came to it with that kind of you know more a very reasonable approach and you looked into what was actually happening the realities what did you find a difference between the kind of political perception and how the the sector was actually operating
1: to some extent, yes. I think, I think some of the political perception had been a bit overdone, perhaps. It, it's difficult for me to judge always because, of course, um, no one ever phones me up to say they're getting on extremely well with their tenant or landlord. So I only hear about the problems. But I do think that, by and large, people get on okay. It's, it's the exceptions that I have to deal with, and I don't think they are typical of the way that landlords and tenants uh, interact in the sector. Not to say there aren't problems, but I wouldn't like to think that they are widespread or symptomatic of all the relationships.
0: So thinking about things that have, have changed, obviously you know there was the, the perception that, uh, and, and the reality, but there have been quite a lot of changes, even the time that you've um, been tenant farming commissioner, Bob. And I wondered if there's any there that you'd like to kind of highlight any big changes for the positive or any sort of new challenges that the sectors had to face during your time as TFC?
1: Yeah, I mean, a couple of things spring to mind. Obviously, the the 2016 Land Reform Act introduced quite a few changes on the agricultural side. Um, the new arrangements where tenants can offer to essentially sell their, their tenancy back to their landlord I think was a very positive thing and that allowed quite a lot of sort of particularly elderly tenants who really wanted to give up but couldn't perhaps afford to give up it wasn't a happy situation for them or their landlord so the relinquishment and assignation um, arrangements have, have given an an out to some of these people and I have a role in that in appointing valuers and such like, but I'm delighted to say that the majority of landlords and tenants are are getting on negotiating deals using the statutory framework as a guide but not using the statutory process, which is probably the sensible way to do it because it gives them more flexibility and they don't have rigid timetables to stick to. So I'm aware that there's a lot of these discussions going on and a lot of deals being done outside the statutory process. And that's that's very positive. And I think that'll be helpful in in allowing quite a few tenants to retire gracefully, as it were, and for new blood to come in and take over these farms. So that's been positive. Of course, we're still uh, discussing what sort of arrangements, what sort of process should be used to determine the rent of an agricultural holding. The the new system, which the government proposed in 2016, has not found favour and, and probably isn't going to come into being. So we've either got to decide we stick with the existing system or a modified existing system, which is what I'm in favour of. So that's, that's got to be sorted out, hopefully, over the next 12 months as to where we're going on rent. So these, I think, were the big new things that, that came in as a result of legislation.
0: Yeah, I mean we'll we'll come back to the rent review one because I think it's it's worthy of further discussion, Bob. But the other thing that of course that came in as part of the twenty sixteen act was the new modern limited duration tenancy. Um yeah. and, and I wonder, you know, in, in you know, from what you know about the sector, how does that change things? Are we seeing um are we seeing shifts in terms of behaviour, um in terms of, of letting? Has that you know, has it opened up opportunities for, for new entrants?
1: Not hugely, I don't think i mean it's not a it's not a huge difference between the m l d t and and the l d t that it replaced. It does introduce a few more freedoms for landlords and tenants to agree things, and it does have that element in it about encouraging new entrants but I'm not aware that it's that that element of the m l d t has really borne fruit yet in terms of it being helpful in getting new entrants in I'm sure there are one or two but I don't think it's made a huge difference to that that the problem of getting new blood and young people into the tenant agricultural tenanted sector remains it remains a problem we haven't cracked it yet
0: and and how much do you think the uncertainty in terms of the sort of future farming financial support is impacting on that at the moment
1: well that's an interesting one because it You know, despite all the issues and the uncertainties, there's still a huge number of people, young people, who want to get into farming. I mean, it's a lifestyle that people desire to have and they're not put off, it would seem to me at the moment, by that sort of uncertainty. Clearly, it'd be nice if we all knew where we were heading with subsidy regimes and things. But it's not stopping people wanting to get in, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and it's not stopping um existing tenants looking for new opportunities either. Um no, as no, you indeed. as you know, Bob, quite a lot of the conversations that are happening with SLE members and current tenants are, you know, current tenants looking for additional land, looking for additional mm-hmm. opportunities. So there's that balancing the needs of existing farmers with the desire for, for new entrants as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and you know, sometimes expanding the size of the holding is the only way to make it viable for the existing tenant. So I think we can expect to see more amalgamation of tenancies in order to create you know one viable unit out of perhaps two marginally viable units. but that's I think that's inevitable.
0: And some people might be surprised that the tenant farmer commissioner also looked at things which weren't tenancies. So I wonder if you can share some thoughts on the work that's been done about you know other other routes into farming you know shared farming contract farming the, the other routes that that people are using joint ventures and the like
1: yeah i think you know having a full blown tenancy is probably the pinnacle but there are lots of other ways that people can get into farming and, and opportunities can be provided such as share farming contract farming small holding even allotments you know there's a whole range of different ways that the the two sides can come together with tenancies just being one of them and perhaps we Sometimes concentrate too much on the tenancy as the only way forward. What we should be looking at is different ways of increasing productivity of agriculture and different ways of bringing new blood into the sector. And there's more than one way of doing that.
0: Yeah, and I think you've always been quite clear and sent very uh, strong messages about the kind of measures of success when it comes to a vibrant tenanted sector. That, you know, if, if we just look at the, the old metric, which was number of tenancies. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have a thriving sector with opportunities. So I, I, I hope that, you know, Scottish Government and others have taken, uh, taken notice of that message.
1: Yes, um, the number of tenancies has been steadily going down, as has the area of land under uh, under tenancies. And that is a wee bit of a concern. I mean, I think, you know, the, the general direction, direction of travel is downwards in terms of the amount of land that's being let. Uh, And there are lots of reasons for that. And I think without further action, that area of land tenanted will probably continue to decline.
0: Bob, thinking back to the 2016 Act again, because, you know, you mentioned about the the changes, and it does kind of feel that there's always changes to um, agricultural holdings legislation. But one of the things which came in, of course, was the tenant's amnesty. I mean, although I think in reality all the stakeholders bought into the concept, it was to be honest quite a frustrating process, uh, a frustrating few years, you know, very little um uptake at the start, rushes at certain points. Did we get the right outcome at the end? You know, have we had a successful amnesty period? has it has it left us in a better position
1: by and large, Yes, without a doubt that that many tenants and landlords now have a clear idea of what tenants' improvements are out there that would qualify for compensation, and they clearly didn't have that before. Yes, it's not been as straightforward as as we would have hoped. Partly I have to say, because of people leaving it to the last minute, having had three and a half years to <laughs> tackle the amnesty.
0: Yeah. It all
1: starts off in the last three weeks of the last you know, and that that hasn't helped at all. So we there were lots of difficulties with with amnesties where they hadn't been resolved by the end of the amnesty period and we needed to sort out the legalities of how that could be taken forward. There are still some cases with the land court, but they've mostly been sisted and they're mostly being sorted out without the land court's intervention. No doubt there'll be a few that the land court has to pronounce, make a determination on, but by and large, landlords and tenants did manage to end up with an agreed list of tenants' improvements which is hugely helpful for things like rent reviews and everything else. And it'll make Wagos much quicker if all that work's been done already. So yes, by and large, absolutely a positive process.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And when you think about, as you say, the, the lack of clarity that existed before, it's hard to imagine how some of the discussions around relinquishment and assignation or or wago or as we move into a kind of new rent review methodology, you know, how we could have had those without Having the clarity um, that we now have on, on tenants improvements, you know, it's hard to see how we could have moved forward without that happening.
1: And one of the things, one of the lessons which we should learn, which is one of the great bugbears of the agriculture holding sector, is it's hopefully brought home to people the need to write things down and record agreements the number of times I come across problems because you know, well, my father and the landlord's father agreed all this on a shake of the hand, and no one ever wrote anything down, so nobody knows what was agreed. And I think, if nothing else, it's hopefully brought home to landlords and tenants that when they agree something, when they, you know, whether it's agreeing to a shed being built or whatever, they must record it in writing for posterity, or it just leads to disputes later on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, the other thing, of course, is that regular dialogue, isn't it? That, you know, the the regular sit down between the, the tenants and, and the landlords, you know, everyone involved in the lease, just making sure that everybody's aware. In the past, some of these were seen as confrontational. Maybe they weren't carried out in, in the way they should have been. But I think when you think about the guidance that you've given to the sector, Bob, you know, you mentioned about relationships and it isn't just about the law, is it? It's about how you engage with people, how you, you know, the relationship that you have as, as parties to, to a contract.
1: Absolutely. And, and many of the, the disputes, if that's the right word, that I get involved in are not to do with technical or legal issues. They're to do with personal relationship issues that's very often the, the source of the problem
0: yeah I remember a conversation actually during the passage of the 2016 bill where for that was brought up you know you can you can legislate for process but you know you, you you can't always legislate for unreasonable behavior on on you know on by any person so that's something mm-hmm. that you know that, that I think shines through in your codes that you know it's 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 how you do things it's how you behave. Um, as mm. as well as um as well as the letter of the law
1: yeah absolutely
0: I and mean, we've, we've touched on um we've touched on a number of things here about you know what's what happened what the fallout from the 2016 act but there's still some big issues to um to resolve and, and more facing the sector bob and housing is one of those ones that keeps popping up um again and again and I just wondered, you know, you you and I have talked about this. It was one of the subjects at the Agricultural Law Association and WA Society conference recently. How do we sort this issue out? Or, or you know, how about we start with, you know, explaining to the listeners, Bob, what is the issue that we face?
1: Yeah, this is the next big issue, without a doubt, because it's quite clear that the, the way that government wants to take the whole rented sector is going to have significant implications for the agricultural holding sector in terms of the standard of housing for a start the way that rents are organized we've been perhaps fortunate in the agriculture sector that the houses on in agricultural holdings were only required to meet the tolerable standard which is a pretty low standard of housing actually government now says it's got we've got to meet the repairing standard and it's quite clear that that repairing standard is ratcheting up significantly with reintroduction of energy efficiency and targets and heating targets and such like. So the end result of that is that most, I would say, houses in agricultural holdings are going to need significant upgrading to meet these new standards. And that'll be difficult because a lot of these houses are pretty old stone houses. There'll be lots of debate about who pays, of course. That'll be a major issue. So. I think the first thing we've got to sort out is, well, I think the sector probably generally agrees that there's no point in arguing against the need to have a better standard of housing. I mean, I think that that new standard is going to apply to all houses, the government says, and I think the sector would be silly not to go along with that. The big issue for the agricultural sector will be uh, who pays for that. In the private rented sector, it's fairly straightforward. The landlord pays for all improvements. But in our sector, of course, you've got a, a history of houses being as they are as a result of landlords' input and of tenants' input. Um, by and large, both people have contributed to the improvement. So how we move forward from that, in terms of who pays for what, is something the sector's going to have to get its mind round pretty quickly, really.
0: Yeah, and, and then, of course, there's a knock-on impact, isn't there, on what that means for rents? Because, you know, landlords yeah. in the, 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 the private rented sector, the investment in the houses is usually recouped through a market rent, which at present isn't reflected in the, the rent review methodology for, you know, farmhouses on on agricultural tenancies. And then the ongoing repairing standard, be, and, and back to the fixed equipment repairing obligations, which in the you know, most tenancies sit with the tenants so i mean one of the things that that we and and you and others bob have been have been asking the government uh, is not to not to kind of do a sort of clumsy application of housing mm-hmm. housing legislation onto agricultural tenancies but to come up with a kind of bespoke solution for us what do you think our chances are of of having specific legislation and regulation rather than it been bundled up in a, in a housing bill that I feel would, would cause more problems than
1: solutions. Yes, I think, I think we're going to have to face the fact that we have to meet the repairing standard. On the rental side, I mean, government seems keen to align the two sectors in terms of how rents are dealt with, which would give us big problems because, of course, in the agricultural holding situation, people have been accustomed to having one rent for the whole farm to include the land, the buildings and the house. So there's no separate component identifiable for the rent for the house alone. Now, I suppose the question we've been saying to government is, well, does that matter? Does there need to be a separately identified rental component for the house? Can we not continue with the current situation? And I think the answer to that will be, well, can in in doing so, can we meet some of the sort of tenants rights issues that the government would like all tenants to have? and still have that single rent situation? Probably yes, but I think we need to work through what government's wanting to see in terms of tenants' rights and just make sure that we can go as far as we can in that while maintaining the different system in the agriculture sector. Now, we've had a meeting with the minister, as you know about that. He was very much in listening mode. He took Took all the points we made about the differences between the the agricultural holding sector and the private rented sector, undertook to go away and discuss these and come back to us. So, I'm hopeful that we will manage to have um, some sort of bespoke solution for the agriculture sector. I think that's it's going to be very difficult if we haven't. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you said at the outset, there that you know I don't think there's any argument at all for good quality warm houses which are well looked after in the future you know i I think you know everyone wants to see people Mm -hmm. living living in you know good standard houses i suppose there's all those elements just as you're saying bob of the kind of the fairness um in terms of um return on investment whether that's a tenant's investment or the landlord's investment and how that's kind of teased out And of course, we've then got the the issues about that security of tenure and the discussions about not only farmhouses, but how that could be extended to tied properties, which are uh, provided Mm -hmm. to tenants, uh, tenants, workers, and what that might mean. Because the last thing we want to see is, you know, that we are seeing a slight increase in letting, but anything which could affect landlords' confidence or certainty is likely to have an impact. So, fingers crossed that we can come up with a a sensible solution as a sector fairly soon.
1: Absolutely. And of course, it's not just a a landlord's issue. It's also tenants who sublet unused uh, uh, farm workers' cottages to third party people. They find themselves in the role of a landlord too. So that makes it even more complicated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and as you know, this is something that that I've, I've spoken a couple of times recently because i was you know involved in the the 2006 act which brought in the repairing standard and it was always quite clear i think at that point that if you were a tenant farmer subletting you were the deemed landlord and responsible for for meeting the repairing standard and i still think that's not something that's fully understood but then also what right. are the ramifications in terms of the obligations of the the head landlord or the owner and different terms being used in different housing acts hasn't helped. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully between us with those with housing knowledge and ag holdings knowledge, we can navigate a way through this.
1: Yeah, and I think it'd be really helpful if the, if the sector was able to present a solution to government rather than waiting for government to present a solution to the sector.
0: Yeah, as you know, that was that was my message to them recently, Bob. You know, rather than sitting back and waiting for or waiting to tell the government what they've got wrong, I do think it's up to us to To come come up with an idea. The other big issue that's that's been bubbling away, of course, is natural capital um, and trees, and how do we make sure that that tenants are able to to access new opportunities? Do you want to sort of tell the listeners a little bit about the work that's been done on that to date, Bob?
1: Yes, I mean we've spent a bit of time looking at what the rights are of tenants and landlords in respect of tree planting on tenanted land? What rights do the tenants have to do it? What rights does the landlord have to take the land back to do it? When you look at the whole implications of applying for a forestry grant scheme contract and applying perhaps for registration under the carbon credit scheme, which brings in additional income, the reality is that neither party, neither landlord or tenant is able to do very much without the agreement of the other, which in some ways is a good thing. Because it means they need to sit down and talk about it and try and come up with some sort of deal that suits them both in terms of who does what, who pays for what, how the income's divided between the two, etc. So we're trying to work on a bit of a guide just now to, to at least highlight to landlords and tenants what are the sort of things they would need to think about in coming to such a deal. I don't think we can come up with a standard model that would suit every situation, because every situation will be different. We can at least perhaps signpost people to the sort of issues they need to look at and how they might address them. But I think, as I say at the end of the day, tree planting on an agricultural holding it comes down to the landlord and tenant sitting down, trying to agree something that suits them both, and maybe that's the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, and one of the things which came out, of course, when we were looking at this, as a, as a sector, where we're, you know was that there's things that can be done already. I think there's always that kind of rush to legislate because we kind of think that there's legislative um, barriers. But you know, I, I think even the clarity on uh, of what can be done under current arrangements was really useful.
1: Yes, and there, there are things you say that can be done under the current arrangements, but again, it still needs that that agreement drawn up between landlord and tenant about how exactly they're going to tackle this yeah and it
0: gets bas- back to you know what you sort of said at the outset about about relationships and and communication and dialogue and and working together for positive outcomes Yep. which at times you know has been missing in in some of the the agricultural holdings um, arrangements in scotland
1: well the whole the whole principle was that it's a partnership between landlord and tenant where they both get something out of it and and um Unfortunately, instead of working together to deliver the best outcome from them both, it often becomes a source of contention and dispute and disagreement, which is very unfortunate really.
0: Yeah, and it is just that shift, isn't it in kind of viewing things viewing things differently, as you say, kind of viewing things as a partnership rather than that you know potentially the kind of outdated feudal landlord relationship yeah. that some people might have have seen in the past. Bob, looking to the future, you know, we, we all talk about, you know, a desire for a vibrant tenanted sector. And, I, you know, I kind of wonder in years to come, if you look back and think, you know, we've done it, this is what a vibrant tenanted sector looks like. What, what, what does success look like for you at the end of your, you know, tenure as TFC or even beyond that?
1: Well, I think we'd like to hope that at the end of the tenure, we've still got landlords who want to rent land out. That's the first thing. That they haven't been put off by, you know, successive changes to legislation or worries about what legislative changes might come in the future. So, we need landlords to want to rent land out, and at the moment there are, you know, the incentives arguably are not quite good enough to make sure that we have got a steady stream of land coming to the market for tenants to be able to take advantage of. So I do think that, in one way or another, there has to be more incentive. For landlords to to let land there's no shortage of tenants or or prospective tenants it's a shortage of land coming to the market for let that's the problem and that's the area we need to address is to uh, try and make it more attractive to landlords to rent land out really
0: yeah so i suppose that there's kind of two elements there one is the return you know the direct return from rental income but the other one is the, the the taxation treatment of, of rental income, and this issue's been kind of floating about for, for a while yeah. um, as to kind of how we can incentivise, but there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of government traction for this, Bob, at the moment.
1: No, I think that's fair. I'm not even sure, you know, does everyone think there's a problem to be solved? I think there is, because I think the number of tenancies or the area of land tenanted is going to continue to decline without further action. So I think there is a problem to be solved. No easy answers to that. But I think if government and the sector want to ensure there is a vibrant tenanted sector, they're going to have to sit down and think think about new ways to make that happen.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether the the working group which has been set up in Westminster to look at tenancy reform yeah. once again kind of looks at taxation because of course that'll be that'll affect us north of the border as well. But yeah. you know, it's been part of UK and Scottish reports in the past, so so maybe this time we'll actually see some changes forthcoming.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they come up with down south. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, and I hope they give give you a chance to participate and to kind of share your mm. expertise because I think I think there's lots of things that you know those involved south of the border probably look look up with a little bit of envy in terms of you know your role, the you know increased collaboration. So you know, so hopefully there's things that they can learn for how, from how you've done things here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And Bob, is there, is there any other sort of messages that you'd like to get out to, to listeners of the podcast? We'll have tenants, landlords, tenants, agents, landlords, agents, you know, some some key messages for the sector that, that, you know, that, that you'd like to, to continue to get across to them.
1: Oh, just one, I think, can landlords and tenants just speak to each other a bit more often and try and resolve things by discussion? Rather than going through third parties all the time and uh and and sometimes not even meeting at all.
0: Yeah, that I think you and I have both seen the, the benefits of that direct dialogue, haven't we, at, at at various times. And there's definitely a you know a, a role for professional agents in in many areas of business, but that personal relationship makes such a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh well, Bob, I'd, I'd like to thank you once again for joining me today. Um, you and I could talk ag holdings for uh, for hours, but we, we better stop there. Um, and to the listeners, please remember that we have a variety of events scheduled for, for members. Sometimes they'll explore ag holdings. Sometimes they'll explore um, other issues. Please do visit our website for more information on upcoming podcasts and for, for events that we're holding across Scotland. The latest edition of uh, our Land Business Magazine is also available now, and that includes a column from from Bob McIntosh. It's another chance for you to read his thoughts. And if you have enjoyed listening to today's episode, please do consider uh, subscribing to or following the podcast on your preferred streaming platform. Finally, if you're not yet an SLE member and you do want to find out more about what it can do for you, uh, visit our website and you can find out all about the different membership packages available. So once again, Bob, thank you so much for speaking with me. I look forward to to seeing you at the Highland Show and to thank all our listeners for listening to us today. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode.